podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And it's another lower league show, and it is John Gibbons. And we're doing a lot of leagues this week, which is a, uh, really excited to be joined by lots of different guests, um, including from the top of the championship right through the leagues and some teams who did really well in the FA Cup who we've never featured before. In fact, there's one team I never even heard of before the weekend who we'll be, we'll be hopefully getting um, the manager of to talk about this week. But we'll start right at the top of the championship and with one of the biggest clubs in England traditionally, uh, Leeds United still find themselves in the championship. But hopefully for them, not for too much longer. Uh, we've got Phil Hay on from The Athletic to talk about how Leeds have been going this season. So Phil, welcome. Well, guys, John, thanks for having me on. Um, it's I've tried to have a little look at the Leeds' form and it seems to be a bit erratic at the moment um, you know obviously there's been some big wins the West Brom one in particular who were riding high as well um, but then a defeat to Millwall a defeat obviously to Charlton um, what, what what's the problems with Leeds at the moment and why is it that the I mean the second in the league so we shouldn't talk too much about problems but um, why is it that it, the, the form does seem to be a little bit up and down it's it's goals essentially. It was it was goals last season. It's goals again this season, and that I think is the one thing that's standing between Leeds being a, a very good, very strong Championship team and being an, an overwhelming Championship team. Who, quite honestly, I think most, if not every other side in the division, would would struggle to to live with if if they were anywhere near hitting their expected goals ratio. If they were anywhere near um, finishing off a, a kind of reasonable percentage of the, the chances they create then I think they would be top of the league. I think it would be very difficult for the, to keep pace with them. And, and that's definitely the, the thing that's that's holding them back. Um, I mean, you, you talked about the, the erratic form. It, it's it's very similar to last season. They, when Bielsa's first season as head coach, um, they were a, they were force of nature, really, in August. They were almost impossible to play against and, and picked up a load of points, looked by far and away the, the best side in the division. But then just a, a few little bumps through September and October be, between the, the first and second international breaks. And it's been the same again this season. They're, they're very similar in terms of points, um, very similar in terms of position in the league. And, and you know, in, in general, I think that they're pretty happy with how they've started. And, and I think that they're very happy with, with the position they're in. Second is, it would, would you know, it would do for them at this stage. But the frustration, I would say, is the fact that they haven't taken that step forward from last season. They haven't moved from being one of the best sides in the division to being clearly the best side in the division. They still are on the day, without any question. But it's still that little step to the point where they're overwhelming and impossible to play against that they also haven't quite been able to take. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's Preston tonight, and Preston have... A bit, a bit of surprise package this this season. Well, they surprised me anyway. They've been in sixth place, and they've obviously, you know, been in the division for for, for a while now. But um, it'd be a tough game for Leeds tonight. It is. I mean, their their home form is as good as anybody's in the division, and and I've always been impressed with Alex Neil there because I think from front to back, they they've got a collection of players who you, you say that the top end would the division wouldn't necessarily be scrambling to sign but he always makes a good team out of them he always makes them very competitive and, and particularly at home I think Le- Leeds at the moment are, are in, a, in, in a a slight rut in the sense that when they play at Ellen Road they're up against teams who uh, who understand their tactics so clearly and, and I see the sort of the way in which Bielsa's telegraphs uh, telegraphs his tactics and makes it really clear how he's going to play the answer to that Ellen Road is to sit deep and, and we're kind of watching the same game over and over again at home it, it is 10-11 men packed in yeah. 35 yards um, in front of their own goal but away from home and, and against a team like Preston you get that bit more space to play in you, you get the the freedom to counter attack a little bit more 
um, you get you get the opportunity to play to to the strengths that Leeds have, and I think this will be a very very good game tonight. Difficult one to call, and to be quite honest, I don't know what to expect of Preston. I don't I haven't seen too much of them, and I don't know if they are as good as as the home form suggests that they that they are. But um, I think it'll be open. I think it'll be really competitive. But I do feel like these are the games that they kind of suit Leeds a little bit more than the home fixtures that you'd expect them to be taking a lot of points from. You mentioned the the, the lack of goals uh, at the moment. The You've got two two joint top goal scorers. There's Patrick Bamford, who's, who's always interested me. He's had an interesting career. And also uh, Eddie Nicotia, who's on loan from Arsenal. Uh, I noticed he scored a hat-trick last week for England under-21s against Austria. Um, how big a talent does he look to you? Oh, he, he looks terrific. I think um, you, you would call him a natural finisher. He's, he's got the movement you look for in the box. He, he reads the game really well. He knows where to position himself. And, and he's got a killer first touch. I mean, that, that is where the, the debate is focusing at the moment. Um, for what it's worth, I think that there are other issues with the, the, the team at Leeds. I think they are lacking a, an out-and-out number 10, um, or, or certainly a bit more creativity in the middle. And, and they've got the issue that they're coming up against teams who are packing in, and, and so the box is congested. And, and cro- I mean, the, the crossing accuracy is, is poor to the point of being abysmal this season. But it is reflective of the fact that the way they play and the pressure they put on means that they're coming up against congested penalty areas and it is difficult to play through. But the crux of the debate at the moment is on Nketiah versus Bamford. Bamford is the player that Bielsa is sticking with. He's the player that, that he seems to have most faith in and, and he's the player who, who he thinks most suits this 4-1-4-1 formation that, that he sticks to and, and never bends from. But the, the issue with Nketiah is that you know he's, he, he's scoring at a much higher rate than Bamford in terms of goals per minute. Um, he looks like a more natural finisher. He looks like the sort of player who, if you're a team that needs goals, and Leeds definitely are a team move who need goals, he looks like somebody that you should be trying to work into the side. And you know, to my mind, they're going along okay at the moment, and and the form's steady, and they're in a good league position. But I think this is potentially the one area in which Bielsa and the, the crowd could come to blows for the the first time because he hasn't played much in the kitty. I was looking through today, and he's averaging around about 17, 18 minutes per game. Right. And when you're talking about, you know talented kid from Arsenal and a kid who seems to have so much finishing ability it becomes more and more difficult to justify his exclusion if, if goals are eluding you but at the same time Bales is very you know very dogmatic in the way he thinks and, and at the moment given that the form is decent and the league position is decent he, he can follow his own mind and, and he really doesn't have to bow to public pressure but I think you know, Bamford's now gone two months without a goal and I think if that persists too much longer it will become a kind of it will become a heated debate about why it is that Nketia can't get a game on Bielsa, do, do you feel the season's a little bit make or break for him? Because obviously he came in, you know, people were surprised that he, did he, did he went to Leeds. Obviously exciting. I mean, some of the football has, has been exceptional, but he didn't ultimately get them up last year. Do you think if it doesn't happen this year, then it sort of feels like, you know, the end of the project, really? Yeah, definitely. Certainly the, the end of the project for him. I, I don't think there's any question that if, if Leeds aren't promoted this season, um, he, he'll he'll stay I think he definitely would go I just don't see him taking on a third season in the championship and I mean I think there was some doubt in his head as to whether or not Leeds would even want him to stick on for, for a second season because it didn't happen last year and certainly at the outset when he came to, to Leeds he, he was thinking it would be 12 months in the championship and then a year's extension if they got promoted but I think to you know to a large extent he has kind of fallen in love with the place and I think he, he can see parallels between the, the kind of passion and intensity at Leeds um, and, and, and what he had at Newell's Old Boys which were okay. his first love and, and the first club that, that he managed back in 
in the early 90s. Um, but yeah, I think everybody is aware of the fact that it has to happen this year. I I, I just think that if, if they aren't promoted this year, he'll, he'll be on the plane back to, to Buenos Aires and, and back to, to Rosario where he where he lives. Um, it just wouldn't wouldn't be in keeping with what we've been told and, and what we know for him to have a, a third go. And I think that goes for others at the club as well. I think there'll be big question marks over whether the owner, um, Andrea Radrizani, is, is in for a fourth season um, in a division where clubs just clubs just do lose money. It's a fact of life. You, you really cannot make a profit in the championship. And I think we'd be looking at very, very substantial changes um, next summer. So, yeah, it is crucial. I think Bielsa feels that. I think he knows that, that he's got to make it happen this time. And... and he says quite openly, if he goes back to Argentina and leads us still a championship club, then he'll he'll have been a failure, regardless of what anybody thinks of him, and, and regardless of you know how, how well thought of he is in the city, it, it, it is pretty much make or break now. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. It's interesting looking at Bielsa's career. Actually, had a little look before, and he's he only tends to do kind of quite short periods at clubs. His, his long stints are at the internationals. He's Argentina manager for six years, Chile for four. But even Athletic Bilbao, where you think, you know, you, you, you think about everything he sort of achieved there. He's only actually there two seasons. Uh, and since then, you know, he's only been at clubs kind of, you know, one at the most really. And so this is, this is actually quite a sort of a, a long-term job for him, looking about what he's done in the past. Yeah, very much so. I mean, listen, nobody at Leeds thought that he was coming here for a five, ten year stint as manager. It, it was never, it was never conceivable that. And, and you're right. I mean, even going back to News, his first managerial job, um, he, you know, that was a, a kind of two, three year stint. And at the end of that, he he definitely blown himself out. And there were there were jobs in Mexico. And like you say, he came over to Europe and and. It tended to have a, a very decent start, the exception being Leo, but certainly at Bilbao and, and Marseille, there was a lot of promise in, in what he was doing. But it, it all it all descended into problems. It all descended into a bit of mediocrity and, and obviously left Marseille because of issues over his contract. He left Bilbao in part because of a, an issue over the club's training ground. But I think generally just the, the growing mood of, of dissatisfaction. And, and obviously it didn't work out in any way at, at Lazio or, or Leo either. It's been far more placid here, and, and there haven't been any of the, the kind of flashpoints with him. And, and actually, you know, for, for all his reputation, I think if you don't know much about him, or if you you just follow him at, at, a, at a fairly shallow level, then you might have this image of somebody who's very volatile, who's a bit hard work for a club. I mean, he's certainly demanding, but he's not a loose cannon at all. He's just very particular and you know, obsessional about about what he does. But it's hard to. It's hard not to think that that must become exhausting over time. I, I know it, it'll be exhausting for the staff. It's certainly exhausting for the players. And it maybe is a, a reason why he never sticks for a particularly long time. And, you know, I think everybody at Leeds, if, if they were to go up, would expect him to have a goal at the Premier League. But I don't know whether, we, again, we'd be talking one season, two seasons, how how long he would stick it out. It, he definitely has a, a limited time span, limited lifespan as a coach. And, and I suspect we'll see that here before long. Okay. Um, before you go, I want to talk about a couple of things regarding uh, the supporter-based uh, sort of negative and positive. Really, uh, the Leeds Birmingham game at the weekend there was there was obviously trouble. Uh, you know, it's sort of been quite doc- doc- well documented uh, trouble between the supporters. It was made an early kickoff to try and kind of avoid it, but that wasn't successful. It's it's one of those rivalries that people kind of outside of the the the, the Leeds or, or Birmingham bubble kind of don't really know too much about but it's but it's yeah. been quite sort of fierce over the years hasn't it yeah it has it has it got, I mean it goes back to the you know long way back to the the 80s when Leeds supporter was killed down at, at St Andrews um I mean the police were saying yesterday that it's the worst trouble they've seen in a decade at, at Ellen Road and and I have to say I'd, I'd agree with that particularly outside the stadium it's not unusual 
to see confrontations between the away end and particularly the south stand at Ellen Road at, at the end of matches or, or during games. But um, it took a it took a lot of police activity to calm things down and, and to to get the Birmingham buses on the way on on Saturday. I, I mean, I'm always loath to take a view on these things, but I did feel on Saturday that the provocation was coming from the away end um, rather than the home end. That was certainly my impression of it. And there seemed to be a, a, a fair amount of trouble between the, the bombing of support and the stewards and police um, before anyone from, from Leeds was particularly involved. Um, but, yeah, you, you're right. It's, it's, it's frustrating. And I think particularly frustrating because it was the day of the centenary at Leeds, you know, and it had been a week where you'd, you'd kind of been trying to, to celebrate the, the better aspects of, of the club, of which there are numerous. And it was great going back through the history and picking up all the old stories and, and, and you know, reminding yourself and refreshing yourself of the, the quality of player and the quality of team that has gone through Leeds at, at the best points in the history. And it, it, just for, for that to happen on Saturday of all days was, was not great. And I think there'll be consequences of it, um, certainly for, for some of the individuals involved and still waiting to see whether or not the FA take any action against either club. Well, let's finish on, on, on a positive then. And, and the, you've written an article um, about the role that the supporters have played kind of throughout Leeds' history and it makes reference to something that Ken Bates said which is regarding you know what, what the supporters ever ever done for, for Leeds type thing and you write a, a very eloquent defence of, of the supporters and the fact that you know with any club that the supporters are, are kind of crucial but you know you, you kind of highlight a, a few particular instances over the years and a few particular examples over the years of where Leeds you know have kept the club going in, in effect and have certainly stepped in where maybe the football club should have been well, the, the 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 issue that Bates had was specifically with the official supporters club, and that was a, a long running battle right the way through the, the seven years when he was chairman. And I have to say, I I was always on the side of the supporters club with that. I never understood the, the need to take them on. I didn't understand the, the criticism of them. Um, and and what I found most interesting about them when I look back, because they're a hundred years old um, last week as well, the same as the club. They were formed at exactly the same time as, as Leeds United. And the, the problem for Leeds when the the old club that, that they grew out of Leeds City folded for financial reasons was that they were struggling or, or certainly worried about persuading the football league and the clubs who were in the football league that professional football in Leeds had any legs and and that it was it was worth the league's while in supporting the club from this area and. What the supporters managed to do in the space of about eight or nine months was raise the equivalent these days of, of £600,000. It was about £12,000 in total back in 1919-1920. And it was a way of saying to the league, look, we, we are serious about this and we do have a, a genuine fan base and we do want football in the city. You know, We don't want it to just slip away and, and to go elsewhere. And, and they were elected in, in 1920 in, in part on, on that basis. And, and the sports club have been around ever since. They donate money to the club, they sponsor players. They, like any sports club, they, they do a lot of work with helping um, fans travel to and, to and from games. And they're just an integral part of, of Leeds United. And, and like you said, you mentioned in Bates there, it, it just seemed to me to be taken on and, and to be criticising one of the kind of positive, long-standing aspects of, of your club. I never understood that. I didn't think it did him any credit. Um, and it is really pleasing to see them still going strong at this stage, you know, a good sort of 10 years after he left the club. Yeah, you can read the full article at theathletic.co.uk if you want to sign up and you're not uh, 
part of the subscription service yet if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash the Anfield app you can get 50% off if you sign off for 12 months um, it's, it's, I'm really enjoying it I'm enjoying Phil's pieces and not just because I was in one of them uh, but it's, it's, a good, it's a good way of finding out kind of what's going on with, with other football clubs and um, especially Leeds United who club have, have always kind of, you know, had, had a little bit of a look at uh, largely because my mum supports them but, um, but, but there we go um, just before we finish Phil it's an obvious place to, to, to end with but um, if you were looking at it right now are you back in Leeds to go up? I, I I couldn't say that, but I'm certainly backing them to be close. I have a feeling that it's going to go it's going to go in a very similar way to last season. That they'll be in the running for second, and it will come down to a handful of results towards the end of the season as to whether or not they they make it. I I, I can't see them finishing outside the top six because they they just are they they're such a competitive side. They're so difficult to play against that I think it's inevitable that they'll they'll stick around there. But as I was saying at the, the beginning, it, it's the goals, it's the fact that they're not turning teams over and they're not running away with, with things. I can't see them being promoted by Easter. I can't see them running away with the title. So I think we're in for another, another nail-biting finish, which is pretty much what we're all used to around here. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, huge thanks to Phil uh, for joining us. And yeah, best of luck to Leeds United tonight. And now we're off to look what's going on in League One and League Two. And now two leagues, one and League Two, and James Richards, who's always on hand to help us out from the D3-D4 football podcast. Uh, so James, uh, welcome back. Thanks very much. No problem at all. Welcome. Uh, oh, thank you. For having me. <laughs> um, I want to start with the game I watched at the weekend because Atkinson Ipswich was was on was on Sky and so I think a lot of people were able to kind of you know to, to dip into League League One who, who maybe aren't necessarily you know watching it week by week and I mean it was certainly an exciting game and a bit of a, a bit of a giant killing it must be you know in terms of you know teams that Atkinson have beaten their history one of one of the best ever results yeah certainly I mean and it wasn't um it wasn't something people were expecting given Ipswich's unbeaten start to the to the campaign I think a lot of Ipswich fans thought they'd turn up at Accrington and I wouldn't say walk it because I don't sense from their fans that they're they're like that this season but um, having watched Oxford play up there the weekend or two before that I had a sneaky feeling that Accrington would do it I mean if you look at data and we do that a lot in terms of performance data Accrington are always uh, one of those sides that constantly get into the opposition area they constantly have uh, plenty of shots per game and you know you look at those those numbers and you think one of these days they're going to click they're going to get their uh, their just just rewards and I wasn't at all surprised that they did it against uh, Ipswich it, uh, it's nice to see them keep a clean sheet as well because they've struggled um, at the back at times but uh, Ipswich fans that's that's League One football you know they were at some point always going to face defeat and it's how now they respond in their next game because uh, Paul Lambert, I think, is very experienced and and won't let them get too too down by this result. Just as he wasn't letting them get too carried away by their their unbeaten start. Yeah, I mean they're still in a fantastic position, as you say, as you say, and still look favourites to kind of go up. But uh, you know, in terms of Accrington, it was a, a result that you know I wouldn't say needed, but 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 it'll certainly give a boost to their season because they were sort of you know a little bit too close to comfort from the relegation zone. Yeah, I think, I mean, to, to be honest, it's going to be expected, and I'm sure John Coleman probably won't thank me for saying that, but, you know, he knows that he has got a massive challenge in terms of budget uh, and, and in terms of the markets that he, he shops for players in. You know, if you look at Colby Bishop, a, a player out of non-league, um, had a really good game. You know, these are the kind of players that he is trying to sign. He can't compete with the uh, market where Ipswich go and buy a 30-plus 
goal a season striker or get they get him for a free transfer but obviously you know they offer him the the wages and they sell him the big club um, story from you know for a team trying to get back up into the championship so they can sign people like James Norwood Accrington just can't do that but what they do fantastically well is they uh, build a team spirit they play a good style of football and like I said they're, they're always they're always very difficult to beat especially at home so um, fantastic result for them and like you say needed moves them above I mean moves them above Portsmouth which is quite remarkable <laughs> certainly in terms of the relative budget of, 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 the, of the teams so the defeat for Ipswich now leaves Oxford United as the form team in the league which I'm sure will please you greatly it's you know a fantastic run of you know um, wins and not just the, the wins but, but some some real big ones in there as well it's a, it's a great run of form at Oxford they uh, pulled together yeah lovely balance in the squad finally uh, we we started last season and we looked all over the place um getting thrashed by both Barnsley and Portsmouth in the early offing. This season, it looked a little bit iffy, early doors, but we got in Matty Taylor, um, who's an Oxford fan, who came through our academy but never played for the club or hardly featured for the club before being shipped out and he went off to non-league, um, earned his spurs, got a move into Bristol, uh, Bristol Rovers before moving to Bristol City, which was quite controversial, and he's now back at the club he supports, which is has uh, gone full circle, and he's a very good player. Tarek Fossu's been absolutely immense, signed from Charlton, uh, a player that came through Reading's academy and obviously was very familiar with Carl Robinson having worked with him at uh, at Charlton. But yes, look, seven unbeaten. Um, I think we've had five clean sheets in that run. We also uh, beat West Ham 4-0 in the, in the League Cup. So we're looking really, really good. Uh, played good football. I mean, the fact that we took on Doncaster the week before last and... Um, and we beat them 3-0. This is a very good Doncaster side. Yeah. It, it just shows that there's some there's some nice uh, nice football being played. And for your listeners, Ben Woodburn, unfortunately injured at the moment, but um, he was starting to look a really good player, just sort of playing in the hole off, off the striker, linking things up really well. Um, took him a little while to get going, but I think we have, we've we seen that from an ex-Liverpool man in Cameron Brannigan. Yeah. Uh, he's been... I mean, I would argue he's probably the best midfielder now at this level. There's wow. not many who can compete with him in the way he's way he's playing at the moment. And he's got seven goals from midfield already this season. Um, it, again, though, it took him a while. You know, coming off probably used to under 23s football, coming into League One, very different style, very different pace to it, very different physicality. But boy, I mean, he's he's a really good prospect, and I I say I wouldn't be surprised if he if he moves on. Um, I wouldn't think January. I would hope not, but I, I wouldn't be surprised in the summer, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, for someone like Brannigan, obviously they've, you know, I think he joined Liverpool when he was eight or nine, and so very young, and he'd only known sort of academy football, and you know, he moved to a, you know, I wouldn't say a club like Oxford because Oxford play play football, and and, and any time I've seen Oxford and spoke to Oxford fans, you know, they talk about the kind of, you know, it is it is a footballing side, so I don't want to sort of, you know, patronise it, but, it but, but League One is different, isn't it? And it's different in terms of the physicality, and it's different from what he's been used to, and sometimes, you know, it, it, there will be kind of a bit of adjustment for, for him and someone like Ben Woodburn as, as well, but it's it shows a lot about his attitude, doesn't it, that he's, that he's able to kind of, you know, roll his sleeves up metaphorically and, and kind of get on with it and, and get stuck in, and then, and then it's quality is, is kind of shown as a result of that yeah yeah it's and it's happening with quite a few players who um, like Ryan Ledson who we actually signed I think from Everton uh, last or two seasons ago and he's now playing in the championship with Preston he was another young player who we progressed uh, another good midfielder very good technical midfielder on the ball 
Cameron's going to be a, a really good player um, at a higher level than he's currently playing at with Oxford. Whether it's with Oxford or not, I hope so, uh, but we'll see. But what you get with him is a, a good range of passing. He's very tenacious, focused and determined. And I think he deserves the accolades he's getting right now because after a difficult start, it, you do see some players shrink into their shells. But he's, yeah, he's never done that. He's obviously, uh, he's had a, a bit of good grounding somewhere in his upbringing and he, uh, he works really hard for the team. At the other end of the table then, and I'm not sure what we did to MK Dons because when I went down there in the uh, in the Carabao Cup, I thought they looked a tidy side. Obviously, Liverpool beat them that night, but we had some some good players on the, on display. And I mean, since then, they've not won. In fact, they've lost, you know, four, four of the last five. The other one, was, it was a draw against Coventry. And, and what, 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 what do you think is going wrong there? Well, the, the major problem they've had um, has been injuries, especially right. to their attacking players. So, uh, Reese Healy is a fantastic individual player. Came from Cardiff, was excellent last season for them before going back um, after his loan spell finished. Uh, signed on a permanent this summer, and you know he's he's a really smart player. They had uh, a couple of other uh, key players go out to injury, which is a real shame. Sam Nombe, this youngster that they've brought through, has been superb. Kieran Agard, um, I think he's been sort of hit and miss in terms of injuries. So. Mm-hmm. They have missed some very important players. And when you've only got Jordan Bowery, and no disrespect to him, but he was a player playing in League Two last season. And I I felt he was quite fortunate to get a move to League One over the summer. Um, you know, when he's your only fit striker, um, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle to take your chances. You're going to struggle to score. And uh, I, I have to say, you know, it's a transitional season for them as well because they've just come up after going up on the last day um, of last season. So... Uh, Paul Tisdale's a good coach, though. Uh, very experienced. He won't be panicking. If you look at the scores, they've only lost, I think, one of the last... Uh, I think it was something like f- about five defeats they've had. Only one of them was by more than one goal. So um, they're not far away from being a side that will start picking up some points. So, I mean, ironically, next to them, um, a team who, you know, is similar in terms of points, but very different in terms of you know what's got going on last few games is Wimbledon they didn't win any of the first 11 I think but have won won the last three and and you know really kind of bounced back and and, and shot up the table yeah well this is funny because obviously if you're not aware their manager uh Ollie Ollie um Wally Downs I always call him Ollie but Wally Downs he's uh he's been suspended he was suspended for breach of betting rules and then subsequently had his contract mutually terminated when uh the football association said he would be banned until February uh, in his stead and winning each of the last three games as caretaker has been a certain Glyn Hodges. Now, I don't know uh, your football knowledge or era, but when I was a kid, he was ripping it up for teams like Sheffield United. Um, really good player. And yeah, he's he's got them. I don't, know, I don't exactly know how he's done it, but he's got them playing with a, a lot more confidence. Uh, they play on the front foot a lot more. You know, and if you look at these games, they scored something like eight goals in the last three games. And, it's a, it's a lovely turnaround. It's great to see. Going to League Two then, um, and one of my friends went to watch Crew Alexander at the weekend and took his two lads and they absolutely loved it. Um, I think it's a, a good example of, of going to see some, some football from, from the lower leagues if, if you can't, you know, ever, you know, if Liverpool fans are listening and they're not playing that day or whatever. He had a brilliant time and he said to him, he said his young lads were nearly on the pitch at those stoppage time goals. It was it was one all going into the 90th minute, wasn't it? And two late goals, Mendy beat Swindon and, and Crew going really, really well at the top. 
Yeah, well, we call them in, in on our podcast the Brazil of the division. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you go to a, a crew game and you think that's what the rest of League Two is like, you, you'd be a little bit shocked, I think, when you see some <laughs> of the football that you get um, at other other games. No disrespect to the other teams, but crew do play an absolutely beautiful brand of passing football. They're a team that bring up players through their youth system and they get them playing this style all the way through their academy so that when they get to the first team, it's almost like they can't play any other way. And it's, it's really good to watch. They've got some cracking young players. Uh, Tommy Lowry, sort of like an attacking midfielder who has been sensational. Charlie Kirk will, will move on for sure at some point, the left winger. And Perry NG is, is probably the best fullback at this level. Um, I met him down at uh, Crawley earlier this season. I just asked him how he keeps his feet on the ground. And, he, you know, he's just a grounded lad. I think he's from uh, Liverpool way. So, you know, he really is... Um, yeah, very humble and and David Artel deserves huge credit for getting that group of young players um, playing in a confident manner because you know last season we saw the sort of Jekyll and Hyde of crew so away from home they were terrible when things went badly the youngsters weren't able to react properly this season they've uh, won more points from losing positions than any other side in the division I think they've taken 17 points from games where they've trailed in so their character is, is coming through now and that's all about um, David Artel and the team maturing so really good stuff and a few a few teams behind them as well who are all in all in really good form. Um, Bradford, Cheltenham, and Newport uh, on Cheltenham Town. I believe you had a had a Cheltenham player on in the last week, didn't you? Yeah, Charlie Raglan, ex Oxford. So we, we got him on and we had a chat with him. Um, and and no surprising that you know he's enjoying as a defender playing under Michael Duff, who was who was an ex. Yeah, legend there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he came through the, the youth system um, when he was at Cheltenham and obviously went on to Burnley and played lots of games at the highest level for, for them. Uh, internationally capped, I think it was with, uh, with Northern Ireland. So really, really good centre-back. Um, and he's got this this defence playing. Uh, he plays like a, it's like a wing-back system, so 3-5-2 or 5-3-2, however you call it. But what he does do is he's got his wing-backs being very mobile. So whereas you often see people with uh, a five-at-the-back system seeing them really sort of quite dull football they get pinned back for long periods because they don't have any width going forward actually Michael Duff has got in in Sean Long and, and Chris Hussey two wing backs that can really bomb on and offer support and they're very they're very good I mean they're good at home I think um, they haven't lost at home since January last season when they lost to Tranmere fantastic stuff yeah really good and and in Luke Varney I think he's 37 or 38 now their striker I mean he's he's brilliant you, you look at him and you can't believe he's got the energy he has to uh, play so well at, uh, at, such, a, at such a consistent level um, at the age he is. But, you know, it's a testament to the way he looks after himself. So before we go, James, anything else we need? We should be having a look at or we should be made aware of that's going on in uh, League One and League Two? Well, Southend, they're very close to announcing Sol Campbell as their new manager. Um, he'll come in with uh, Andy Cole. Um, as, his, uh, as his coach and Herman Horidison as his assistant Southend very nearly agreed a deal to have Henrik Larsson take yeah, over I saw that, yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but it fell through at the last minute when uh, Tommy Johnson uh, who was part of the coaching setup, uh, who was going to be brought in with them took a job elsewhere and it sort of made the deal collapse so uh, Sol Campbell is the, is the fallback guy and I think a fantastic opportunity for him Um going to be uh, another hard task because obviously he went in at Macclesfield and, and turned them around. He's going to have to do a similar job yeah. south end. Um, and you know, Carl Fletcher, new manager in at Leighton Orient. Um, good to see them give a, a young manager an opportunity to come back into football. He'd been um, 
learning his trade after a brief spell as Plymouth manager when he finished mm. his career at Bournemouth um, as the loans manager. So he's obviously a guy well-connected and you'll probably see Leighton Orient do, I would think, a fair bit of business um, in January or over the summer where they'll get some pretty tasty loan players in um, with his contacts that he's got. So, yeah, just a couple of couple of notes there for your listeners to keep an eye on. But, yeah, Sol Campbell soon to be back in management by all accounts. And good luck to him. Uh, huge thanks to James for joining us. Uh, do check them out. It's at D3D4Football on Twitter. There's links to all the podcasts and everything there. And it's a really good account to follow on Twitter as well in terms of keeping an eye on what's going on in those two leagues. But, uh, yeah, thanks a lot to James. And now we're going to talk about the FA Cup. And now we've got... Um, Ian on the phone, who's from Up the Butter, that's a fanzine about Hanningay Butter, who play in North London. So, Ian, first of all, welcome to the Lower League Show. Thank you. Um, first of all, I mean, people will, I'm sure, be aware of the incident that happened at the at the Harrogate game at the weekend. Uh, I don't want to start there. I want to start asking you a little bit about about the football club it's, itself, because for many of us, this will be you know our first time hearing about Hanningay and hearing about. You know the the, the football team um, from the FA Cup tie. So, if you can let us know a little bit about about the football club, what kind of football club it is, and, and where you're playing at the moment. Uh, yeah, so um, we're Harrogate Borough. Um, we play in uh, in North London, on actually on White Hart Lane. Uh, we are <laughs> we're not the only club to play on White Hart Lane because there's uh, there's a couple of others further down, but. Uh, um, one that doesn't is Spurs, who uh, whose ground is on the other side of the high road. Right. Um, we currently play in the Islam League, which is the highest level we've been at, I think, in our history. Uh, we were promoted uh, two seasons ago, um, and uh, we played in the FA Cup for the um, FA Cup proper for the first time last season, which was, uh, you know, probably the biggest game in the club's history. Um, certainly, the biggest attendance. And there were about 2,700 people there. Wow. We played Wimbledon. Um, yeah, we were sort of founded in, uh, founded in um, 1973. Um, and uh, since that time, we, we, most, of, most of our history has been, uh, has been uh, down in the bottom reaches of, um, of the regional leagues, in the Spartan League mostly. Um, but the last the last sort of few years have seen a have seen a, a real positive in, uh, uptake in fortunes. Um, one of the one of the like, most interesting initiatives actually is the uh, the chairman has uh, has instituted a policy of um, free season tickets. So uh, anybody who anybody who turns up on the first day of the season can can get uh, can get in for free for for the uh, for the rest of the season, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is good. That, but in the and um, it was uh, is that because uh, when I moved to Tottenham um, four or five years ago, uh, it was definitely the free season to get off of that that sort of uh, drew me into uh, kind of going along to the to the club at the bottom of my road. And since then, obviously, you've been hooked, and as you say, the team have been doing well. And this FA Cup game against Yeovil then was. I mean, presumably a big deal because Yeovil, a, a historic football club, you know, if, if you know people, people will know from, you know, from you know they've been in, in various kind of leagues throughout and, and in various kind of successes, if you like. But Yeovil are a, a team that that everyone knows, and I presume it was quite a big deal to be hosting them at the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's probably probably one of our biggest games of the season. Um, I mean, hopefully not if we uh, if we beat them next Tuesday. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like um, 
it's uh, yeah, it's only the second or third time we've we've uh, played a team from that level, and um, yeah, there was uh, there was a, a big kind of buzz among among Harrogate supporters, uh, a lot of, a lot of excitement around the day. Um, yeah. Um, so when did you start, you know, obviously you go to the game at the weekend, you, you're excited, you know, the, the the game kind of kicks off and, and, and gets underway. When did you start to, I guess, notice or, or when did the crowd start to suspect that there was something going on that you don't normally see? There was actually there was actually very little of note. Um, the, the game was really one of the cleanest games I've ever seen. There was, a, there was not even a booking until an hour in. And um, I think on the 63rd minute, it was um, Yeovil got a penalty, which sort of, uh, which for some reason that led to a lot of their fans throwing stuff on the pitch, um, right. bottles and uh, and stuff, and uh, and that then led to an altercation between our goalkeeper. Because um, I don't know if you uh, if you're familiar with our ground, probably not, but uh, the fans are about about. You know the goal nets go right up to the fence. The, the, the fans are very close, um, close to the close to the keeper. Mm. And there's an altercation between between him and um, and the supporters uh, behind the goal. Um, and that kind of uh, escalated from there. Really, there was uh, there were attempts by Yeovil players to calm the fans down. There were attempts by uh, Borough players to calm the fans down. Um, and the, eventually, they they managed to get the game underway again to take a penalty. Um, and uh, then it all kind of kicked off once again. And uh, at that point, I think that was when uh, our captain Kobe Rowe was uh, racially abused by by one or more Yeovil fans. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of the strangest incidents I've, I've seen watching football because it, it seems just to kind of come from absolutely nowhere. And also from an incident where Yeovil had benefited, you know. I mean, I wouldn't say you can understand if it's a penalty the other way because racism is is a difficult thing to to sort of get your head around. But it seems so strange that it's it's a, a penalty for Yeovil that 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 kind of kicked everything off. Yeah, exactly. Like you would have think you would have thought that the sort of predominant move there would have been would have been relief, like um, the you know not not to not to sort of justify. Um, not that, that were it the other way around, it would justify it in any way. But uh, yeah, it just it was. Um, I mean, I was I was the other end of the pitch, so it was was kind of it was very confusing to try and try and parse what was going on. I'm but, sure. Um, yeah, it's uh, it was it was a really strange incident. And obviously, you know, this is following up from an England game where the England players decided to 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 stay on the pitch. Um, and, and and win the game and, and play the way that they did. Um, obviously, in this game, a different decision was made. It's it's difficult, isn't it? Because you're asking human beings to make split second decisions based on you know how they feel and what they feel like is the best kind of solution at the time. And it doesn't feel there's necessarily a right or wrong answer. But you know, was there a general consensus amongst the Harringay fans that that walking off the pitch was the right thing to do? I think, um, yeah. I, I, I mean, not to not to sort of say that um, had they decided that they wanted to play on, that would have been the wrong decision. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I, don't, I don't think I don't think that that's, that that's necessarily true. But yeah, I, I fully support um, their decision to 
to walk off the pitch. And I think um, everybody I spoke to at Harringay supported that decision, as did the uh, the management and players at Yeovil. Uh, so, yeah, it, 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 there, was, there was a lot of unity in, in that respect. So, and obviously, the, you know, since since then, the FA have decided to replay the game and, and they could have made several decisions up to and including kind of kicking Hammergate out the FA Cup because, you know, they did walk off the pitch and, and you know, the, the rules would have allowed them to do that if not really, you know, being in, you know, the, the spirit of, of football and kind of what we want to see. Do you think it's the right decision to replay the game and are you looking forward to it? Is it something that, you know, you, you, you're looking forward to hosting Yeovil again or is there a little bit of, of apprehension about the whole thing? For me, it's uh, it's like to, to put myself in the FA's shoes. Uh, it's a difficult one for them because yeah. they haven't concluded an investigation. Um, they presumably would not be able to conclude an investigation by what next week or wherever when the game would need to be played, and so they couldn't really have decided anything else. I don't think from our perspective, or from from a sort of personal perspective. I really, I would go to the game because I want to show solidarity with our players. But yeah. the, the prospect of doing so, uh, there's, there's no excitement at all in that in in replaying that game. I would much rather, in whatever way we didn't have we did we didn't have to do that because it just feels it just feels extremely unfair to sort of send out players who only. Nine days ago, had had been racially abused by by a group of fans um, to go and sort of have to play in front of them again. And uh, in the meantime, you know, uh, looking on Twitter and whatever, um, it seems like there are a bit, there are an awful lot of Yeovil fans who have managed to convince themselves that absolutely nothing happened and that our players have made it all up. So, from that perspective, I just I'm really concerned that there will be an incredibly poisonous atmosphere around around the whole game, and it's it just uh, it just feels like it's sort of um, that it's going to be it's going to be much worse than than first time around. At least that that is my fear about it, um, which I I hope to be unfounded. But. Yeah, I mean the, the developments kind of in Yeovil just just seem really strange for me and kind of disappointing because, you know, looking from the outside, it looked like after the game there was a real show of solidarity. Obviously, both, as you say, both sets of players tried to calm down the situation. They also came back out after the game had been called off and, you know, in a, in a kind of show of solidarity, Yeovil put out a statement which I thought was a good one you know the football club in terms of you know what they were able to say at that time and then since then as you say there seems to have been a, a, a kind of growing kind of feeling up to and including you know journalists in the area of well is there actually any proof that this happened and you're like well you know I mean are we are we, are we not taking players words for it anymore are we not you know showing it seeing a reaction and, and seeing that you know quite is quite clear that that something very serious happened Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think in a way this this sort of desire to kind of close ranks when when something happens in a in a really tribal way, it's the sort of thing that kind of gives people the, the security to to actually shout racist things at football matches in in the first place. Um, 
and it, it, I left I left the game on uh, on Saturday thinking I, I mean I was I was understandably understandably incredibly like disappointed and saddened about what had happened. Sure, but I thought both clubs both clubs had handled it really well, and I, I sort of it's probably the first time that I'd ever seen like a coherent response to dealing with dealing with racism at a football match. Um, and just since then, I, I, the whole the whole sort of reaction, particularly, particularly um, yeah, from from lots of people in uh, in Yovo, I, I has just been so depressing. Mm. Because so, it's it's, it's obviously the case that um, you know our players would not walk off the pitch over nothing. And it's, it's obviously the case that they would not walk off the pitch because they conceded a penalty. Because, no. You know, we, uh, it's... Because it happens. It's a football game. Before, if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> well, two men have been arrested. They, age 23 and 26, they have been arrested in suspicion of racially aggravated common assault. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, the game will be played. And obviously, we wish best of luck to, to Howard Gay Borra. And yeah, for the rest of the season, I guess, because... As you say, I mean, well, as I, I said to kind of to, to started the show, and it's it's a shame that what what should have been a, a really good day in in Harrogate's not just season but history really, and, and could have been something really positive as has has been has been soured obviously for the for the players involved, but also kind of everyone else. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's that's one of the disappointing things. Really, it's like um, I mean, we were we were. Uh, one nil down at the point the game was abandoned to a team two divisions higher than us. We've given a really good account of ourselves, and uh, that uh, we'd actually got them pretty scared in the first half, and all that sort of stuff has been has been kind of forgotten. Um, that's been you know we we haven't really been able to kind of all those kind of positives for us um, has has been has been kind of lost, and it's it's understandable because it's you know it's become a much more important uh, and much more serious issue but yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a shame that we, we kind of you know the opportunity to kind of uh, to kind of be a FA Cup story for the right reasons has kind of been has kind of been lost yeah no indeed uh, well huge thanks to Ian from Up the Butter Fanzine for coming on and you know, explaining a little bit more about the situation and, and what has gone on and yeah we obviously wish Howengate best of luck in this fixture in particular and also for the rest of the season but yeah thanks to Ian and now we've got another FA Cup story for you and finally to a really positive story from the weekend and quite the story it was as well with a Injury time and, and injury time is putting it mildly. Um, goal for Potters Bar, Potters Bar Town FC, who are admittedly a team I didn't know too much about before the weekend, but what an amazing story. And we're delighted to be joined on the phone by the manager, no less, uh, Leo Leary. Uh, Lee, welcome to the show and congratulations. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, I'm sure you believed in your team and you were playing Barnet at the weekend, who were established club and, and people will will know a traditional football league club actually um, and I'm sure you believed that the boys could do something but surely by the time it got to the 100th minute of the game you were starting to think that maybe you were going out yeah yeah time was running out to be fair um, but but that was kind of kind of the way we looked at it with the with the 10 days to, to the week leading up to, to that game is that um, yeah we planned to try and keep it as tight as we could 
whether it was be nil nil or one nil down and, and, and see what happens in the last ten, fifteen minutes. unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, whatever way you look at it, um it took us to like the hundred and first minute uh, whatever that was. So there was there was no chance of a, a response from Barnet, which um obviously led us to, to having the replay tonight. Yeah, the the, the replay is tonight then it's come I mean it must be feel like another great day really and I'm sure you'd rather have won the game but it does give you know another chapter in this story really and a and an away ground you must be looking forward to yeah no of course um it's only my first year in in managing um so straight away obviously I've got a lot of exposure from from our cut run but uh just to be going to manage a well-established uh conference national club which Probably they've got the facilities of a, of, a, of a league club, so just myself going uh, going to Barnet and, and all the boys. It's again, it's it's a big occasion, but but one again, like I said before the weekend, that we're not going there just to make the numbers up. We're going there um, with with confidence that we can try and get a result. Um, even more so after the weekend, because going into Saturday, you kind of the boys kind of never know what to expect. Although we try and we try and um, uh, kind of like tell them what how we expect the game's going to go. It, they can you, they can never kind of um, kind of believe or, or trust that much in what you're saying. Um, but they're, they're getting plenty of belief from the weekend and and going into tonight. I, I should imagine they have more and more confidence, knowing that they know what to expect. They know what they're up against. Um, the only difference difference being is that they're playing in a in a bigger stadium. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a bigger stadium, but there was a, there was a great crowd there on Saturday, just over over two thousand people in there, which I I believe is a, is a record crowd, and that must have been yeah. quite a thrill for for you to manage in front of, and obviously the, for the players to play in front of as well. Yeah, of course, it was um, yeah, it was a real a real party atmosphere kind of occasion. Um, not again, not only for myself, like I was more pleased for pleased for the boys that have not played at, at that in that round before in the FA Cup and in front of that many people and also for the club like you say it was uh, it's it's the biggest attendance that they've had um, for Potter's Bar before so yeah it was I, I, I'm, I'm happy for them because the week leading up to that to that game there was so much hard work involved in getting that uh, game ready and the stadium um, in a condition where it was it was safe to, to host yeah. Uh, so many, so many fans, you know. Yeah, a lot of work goes in, you know, behind the scenes with with any football club, but especially at your level, you know, it's uh, it's, it's volunteers, isn't it? It's people who you know from the area who've, who've I'm sure have been involved in the club for a long time, you know, working hard around other commitments to to kind of you know keep keep the football club going and making sure that these events can 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 happen and and can happen, you know, to to, to the extent that you wanted to. Yeah, no, of course that that's it. Um, we at the start of the season, we've, well, we had a plan in, in the summer to try and emphasise more on uh, on the community feel, um, whether it's with youth teams or whatever it is, and and uh, we've seen over the last the last couple of rounds that more and more the the towns kind of coming together, more and more people are coming to support, and and with that, it just brings people back through the door. So yeah. our average attendance this year was around. Just over the 200 mark, to be fair, with like league games and that. But I should imagine that that will go up by another 50, 60 um, week on week when you get back down to the nitty gritty league games. So 
yeah, it's, it's important that you have a good, just a good community-based football club and in the town everyone knows Potter's Bar and, and it's had massive exposure for us because um, like I say, there was there was um, a, a lot of people within the Potter's Bar town area don't even know that they've got a football club like Potter's Bar town in, in, right. in quite, a, uh, quite a decent standard within non-league football. So yeah, the exposure has been massive for us. Um, and I'm sure it, it helped the club in, in future years. Um, I gather you've had to cut a holiday short as well. I know I've, I've been speaking to you all day. You've been really accommodating, yeah. so thanks very much. But I know you've been on a plane sort of back from Spain and, and um, yeah. you have to cut a holiday short. I don't think the missus is too happy, is she? Um, she's not. <laughs> quite funny, really. Like, uh, the weekends, obviously, she, she came down and watched and she stood behind the dugout. Um she was the only one within the home end that wasn't cheering when we scored in the 101st minute. <laughs> um, yeah, she had a right face on her. But yeah, we, we went, it was always booked in. We, we were going away to stay with friends. Uh, so I've left her in Spain at the minute. She's she's with friends out there and I'll be, I'll be uh, flying back in the morning. So it's not disrupted her holiday too much. Uh, it's just mine uh, <laughs> as such. But, but with an occasion like, like tonight, it's, it's it's a good thing. It's not it's not a negative, you know. And it's a, it's another challenge for, for for you tonight as well. You mentioned that you're a young manager, you're a new manager, and you know putting yourself up against a team like Barnet, you must be, you know, I'm sure you've been racking your brains thinking of you know things you yeah. can do with your team and, and tactical changes that you maybe make, maybe something exactly. that you can do to surprise. I mean, it's it's a it's a fantastic challenge for yourself as well, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's it's a completely different game of football. To- to the one that, that happened on Saturday. So, yeah, I've had enough time, to be fair. It's probably good that I did go away because within all the uh, the excitement and, and everything that's gone on over the last couple of days, I've kind of withdrawn myself from it, you know, and left um, John Mackey, the assistant manager, to kind of deal with uh, things that I would normally deal with. But it's been nice to get away and I can proper, like, concentrate on the preparation, like you say, tactically, um, to, to prepare us the best that we can tonight, but yeah, it's, it's what it's what every manager and every coach wants is to be is to be challenged week by week and having to come up with different ideas, different plans to try and um, to try and kind of yeah, like, like tactically whether we're gonna like expose weaknesses of the opposition or to try and nullify their decent threats or, or threats that they have, and we're ninety minutes. With the 90 minutes game that we had on Saturday, we kind of I feel like we're we're a little bit more knowledgeable in terms of how they're going to play and how they're going to set up. And yeah, it's, it's so much to think about, but it's exciting and, and it's something that I'm I'm enjoying. And and yeah, hopefully we we can get a result tonight. You you never know. Obviously, we respect the opposition yeah. and, and respect downside because they're two le- levels above. They're at home. Pitch is a little bit bigger. The pitch is lovely. Um, so we've got a lot of things going against us um, and you need that little bit of luck so that's what we're hoping for tonight that we that we set up in a way where we can make the tyre last as long as it can and, and see where that takes us Well best of luck and you've got obviously the motivation of, of, of a giant killing but also Fleetwood Town yeah. in the next round potentially as well who was a step up again and you know up against Joey Barton and you know it's 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 it's, it's exciting times isn't it it is it is it's, it's it's good that that FA Cup draw is is 
is done before your replay, really, because at least you know it just adds it adds to the motivation levels or it dangles a carrot a little bit more. So, yeah, I'm I'm really enthusiastic and and motivated for the game, knowing that obviously the draw's been made and a home tie against Fleetwood is 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 in the pipeline if we get through or if we progress through to, to tonight. So, yeah, it'd be it'd be brilliant if that was the case and it'd be good again to 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 kind of yeah have test your wits against uh Joey Barton who's had such a successful uh career so yeah it'd be it'd be another test but one that if we did progress one that I'd be looking forward to yeah, we all wish you best of luck and huge thanks as well, Lee, for fitting us into your busy schedule. You know, the replay is tonight and you've been in the in the in the air, but we really appreciate it because it's fascinating to get your your insight into kind of what what it's like to, to be part of these occasions, you know, and we wish you best of luck, but also as well that we hope that obviously the, the people obviously in the area, you know, now know that the, the Potters Bar have a football team well worth supporting and hopefully you get a few more down in the future as well. Exactly, no. Thank you very much. Thank thank you for your time as well, because obviously it's going out on your on your podcast and through your Twitter feed and, and whatnot. It gives us even more exposure. So you'll be helping us along the way. So much appreciated. Uh, top man and best of luck. Sports Social Podcast Network.